Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax, you have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us, holding to pure grace. Again, relax, join in with us. Listen on, be blessed. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name's Bill. And I'm so excited to be here with my good buddy, Grace Guard Dog, Steve. We've been having a great time. Steve's just showed me something that blew my mind. And it is, I'm hoping we can podcast yeah. on that. Yeah, it, it's actually one of the foundational thoughts for reading the, the New Testament. You had to pick me up off the floor. Yeah. It literally fell backwards. And it truly is replete. It's on, if we could, if you could remember what you told me, yeah. this will be a kicking podcast. It, it's literally in every verse when it comes down to it. And I wanted to give a shout out to our good buddy Bob, and because he brought up a question that led us into this whole conversation that we've been having for the last twenty minutes. Cool. He seems to be such a blessing to you. I, I had a, a good. Um, a blessing from Mandy, too. Another good friend, too. Yeah. Always encouraging. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Holy Spirit, if you can bring this back to my memory and Steve's memory, really, it's on, it's, it's on you. What did Bob say? Well, that's what sparked the... Because we talked about Hebrews 6, falling away. What does that mean? And we, we saw a lot of in way of review, a lot of comparison. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews is basically a comparison, a side-by-side comparison of the two covenants. And it keeps talking about the new covenant in terms of better promises, better, 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 better. Did we count yeah, 11 we did. or 12 mm-hmm. or 13 better? We did. We did. And uh, he really liked that. Awesome. I really like it. Yet, we still hear a mixture of the two covenants when we turn on the TV or turn on the radio. Lord, yes, yes. I hope uh, he's got the two covenants clearer than the TV and the radio do. He does, and he definitely does now. And I do. It's easy to go back to the, it's the default mode is to go back to the old covenant. We were never under, as Gentiles, ever under the Old Covenant. But like our friend Big J from the last podcast was brought up under the Old Covenant and then made the transition. So I can understand him using such words like lack of commitment and broken promises. Mm -hmm. Rededication. Rededication. Mm -hmm. To the point where he, well, he was in. He was in rough, rough shape. Oh, he was clinically depressed. Yeah. He was clinically depressed. He was in a dark place. Very, very, very dark place. They had to monitor him. Had to check in on him and everything. Yeah, you kind of had to be his beside him friend for yeah. a week or so. Yeah. That. But, but anyway, let's look at We were talking promises. about Hebrews 6. Yeah. And, and do you remember the word... That he said, 
about better things. That they were persuaded. The writer of Hebrews was persuaded of better things. And that was our word, patheo. We didn't do a redneck Greek word study, or did we? We kind of did. I don't know if we formally called it a redneck Greek study or not, but... Here goes the short one anyway. Yeah. Patheo persuaded means... It means persuaded into action, persuaded to listen, persuaded to obey, persuaded to trust, and persuaded to have confidence. And all these that we found of confidence, trust, listening, obeying, they all had one common, it's a verb, by the way, and it can be active or passive, but what blew our mind was how many of them, when it comes to the New Covenant, we didn't find any active. No, not not as far as doing good is concerned. You can find plenty of active verbs about not obeying. You can actively They're, not obey. But they were all in the not obeying actively. Yes, yes. But the persuasion was actually passive voice. He did not persuade himself. It's That persuasion is not anything he could take credit for the the writer of Hebrews. He, he said, I'm not. persuaded in, in an invisible Holy Spirit force caused him to be persuaded. Have you studied the Bible for 40 <laughs> years and come to... <laughs> yeah, he didn't do he, that. No, he didn't. He, Neither did the Apostle Paul, no. who knew the Bible. Yes was not persuaded that Jesus... He had to be persuaded that Jesus was who he was. Yeah, yeah. But it brings up an interesting thought. And I can tell you that the New Testament is replete with this thought because I studied it for close to three, three and a half years. I went through every single verb from Matthew 1.1 till the end of Revelation. It took me a little over three years to do it, but I went over every verb and found out whether the verb was active voice. Active voices, Johnny hit the ball. Passive voices, the ball hit Johnny. And in the New Testament, it's critically important to know whether you're talking about a passive voice on the verb or not, because you can have many imperative mood, which is a command. I'm telling you to do this, and I'll tell you to actively do this, actively refrain from stealing. But when it comes down to it, he refrained from stealing. It, it turns out that it'll be passive voice. You don't get the credit for it. It no. was the power of God in you that kept you in the mode of refraining from stealing, refraining from lying or gossiping about your, your brother or sister. It turns out that all the active voice, let, let, let's say like 
Second Corinthians 10, where it says, the weapons of our warfare are not human, but they're divinely orchestrated for the pulling down of strongholds and the demolishing of every argument and the demolishing of every thought that exalts itself above God. All those are active voice towards that divine nature, the, the, the weapon, the divine weapon does those things for you and it is ready to punish every act of disobedience it goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and follow, following. It says it, it's ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is made complete. That's passive voice. You didn't active voice obey. Wait, back up. What? It was passive voice. You did not do that. It said the divine No, no it is. Weapon. Steve. Steve. The, the divine weapon active voice causes you to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The divine weapon does that. But you do not get credit for bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It says once your obedience is made complete for you by the divine weapon, doing it for you, doing for you what you can't do for yourself, once your obedience is made complete for you, passive voice, then they're ready to punish all disobedience. I've never heard it that way. I've always heard your obedience, trust and obey, actively obey. That, There's no that, other way. That, that's, it, and it almost looks like that when you read the English Bible. You, you could almost get that point. You, you, if you look at it intently in the English Bible, you'll see that, you know what, that does say your obedience is made complete. That, that, that could be passive voice now that you mention it. But everybody takes it as the... It, it's they, they say, and we have these divine weapons so that we can demolish every stronghold and we can put to death every argument that builds itself up against the knowledge of God. We can do this. We can do this. But it's not. If you look at it in the original language or just look at it grammatically speaking, you, you'll see that it's the divine weapon that does all those things for you. And once it has made your obedience complete, once it's kicked kick butt inside of your mind, taking all those thoughts captive for you and making your obedience complete for you, then you're ready to go on. But it's definitely passive voice. And that brings us to the thought that we should probably do for the rest of the podcast is I'm saying I'm submitting to everybody that the New Testament is replete with everything that we get credit for being passive voice. We didn't really get credit for it. It was done for us, like persuaded. 
that the idea of believing you were persuaded you began to believe wasn't that passive voice in Hebrews 6 it was he says even though we say such things we are persuaded of better things in your case things that accompany salvation by our Savior Jesus Christ this yes and they are passively persuaded of this which is is just like and I think we should go there we should do a, a just a couple verses out, out of Romans 6 because to me I get on a soapbox every time I look at this passage in, in Romans 6 saying, do you see it? Do you see how passive voice it is that, that the, the will's not as free as you think it is? And it's just clearly saying it here in Romans 6. But nobody seems to hear me, so I would like to get it out on this podcast. Okay, we're going to give you that soapbox that you want. Amen. And I think it's so important because Hebrews was comparing the two covenants. If the new covenant is trust and obey, then there's no other way. Then there is no other way. That's the old covenant, trust and obey. Then if the new covenant is the same dynamic as the old covenant, what's why need a new covenant? Well, the reason we need a no new covenant is because apparently no one trusted and obeyed and that's the point he's saying we're persuaded of better things things that accompany salvation things that accompany being delivered when we looked at it it was the patheo word and it was passive voice persuaded you were persuaded you you didn't study your bible and come up with this you didn't look at your life and say hmm the, I need to just yeah the energy of God overmastered you overmastered you and caused you to have that feeling that you have Paul says something very important and it, it has to do with being persuaded to be persuaded you have to understand something you have to understand the dynamic that's going on when Paul gives his Romans 7 speech, yes. doesn't he say, I don't understand or I do understand? Do not. I, I, now I understand. I figured it out. He doesn't say that. He says, I don't understand what I do. And then he goes over all the things that we've been told to do. He, he goes over being committed. He goes over being Dedicated. Having the law dedicated, and and then he said he just says I don't understand it I can't do it wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death who will Yeshua me who will save me from this body of death thanks be to God through Jesus Christ now Jesus Christ is actively rescuing the apostle Paul he's actively persuading him. That that way, the the way of commitment, the way of using your own willpower and, and really committing yourself and learning what you're supposed to do and not do, he's persuaded that that doesn't work. And I think the Apostle Paul was 
the one picked because he had a pretty good track record of doing good, um, obeying the law, being committed to the law. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, fearful expectation, those are things that belong to the old covenant of you using your willpower and trying to commit to living a better life, of trusting and obeying. He says, those belong to the old covenant. He says, I'm convinced of better things, in your case, things that don't belong to the old covenant, but things that belong to the new covenant, which is a covenant of salvation, which is a covenant of being delivered from the body of sin and the body of death, the, the messing up and feeling wretched man that I am. That's not a better thing. That belongs to the old covenant. And the better things belong to the new covenant. And the better things are something nobody figured out. Nobody did their homework, studied the Bible. If anyone could have, Paul was a Pharisee. I think as a Pharisee, you had to memorize the whole Old Testament. Well, you had to memorize the first five books by the time you were 12, just to qualify to maybe be a, a Pharisee one day. And then... After you did that, you had to have the whole rest of the Bible and be able to cite it for memory and answer questions from the the elders and the, the other Pharisees. So that was a pretty tall task to do, which means you would have really understood the you I'm sorry, you would have really been familiar with it, but you wouldn't be persuaded that it didn't work. That persuasion had to come not from the letter which kills, but it had to come from the spirit which gives life. It's the spirit that points you to the eye, convinces you, persuades you that I can't do any of this stuff and that's written in the law. I need a new covenant. I need, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to live his life through me, through us, and do for us what we can't do for ourselves, to borrow one of your sayings that I should be saying better, having heard you say that so many times. Literally, but let's believe, go to, believe, persuade. Literally, they're they're from the same word, patheo, and and there's also another word, uh, apatheo. We get our word apathy, and apathy is just unbelief, and. A person that is trying to keep the law in his own human effort is actually an unbeliever. And when he says, I'm persuaded of these better things, it means I believe better things. I believe, I believe these better things. And you don't end up saying, I believe that the old covenant taught me that I can't produce a satisfactory Christian life. That's and, not where he was persuaded. Yeah. In, in, in other words, that new belief that he had actually was God-generated. You don't get questions like from the rich young ruler, what good things must I do to get eternal life if you're convinced that you can't, there's nothing good you could do, right? You, you, right. Right. And... Jesus gave him a clue. He 
I don't think he picked up on it, but he said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. You've Meaning, got to believe that. If you think only God is good, and you also think you can do good things without God, then you're you're Adam, basically. Yeah, that, that's why Ephesians thirteen forty seven says all those who were appointed to believe believed, and that's why First uh, Philippians one, the last verse in Philippians one says, it's been granted to you not only to suffer for Christ but also so to, to believe. believe in him because the idea of faith is a fruit of the spirit it is it's it's something that is given to you remember Romans 12 where he says you should be sober minded according to the measure of faith given to you given to you you yeah. don't Working humanly up. produce faith it is well first Corinthians twelve seven and nine says there are many manifestations of the spirit and one of them is like a word of knowledge, another one is faith. It's saying faith is a manifestation of the spirit. It's not of human origin. Faith doesn't come from us as human beings. Faith comes from God and is generated by God for us. That's why it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faith, self-control, because it's a fruit of the Spirit, not a fruit of self-determination. Not a work of the law. No. Well... You mentioned Romans 6, and I think you're going to have a pretty hard time explaining Romans 6 because it clearly says that we need to be obedient. We need to obey. So go ahead. Okay, we'll, we'll start in Romans 6, may, maybe in, in verse 12, because it, it does just what you're saying. It gives you a command tells you not to do something. It says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Right there it's saying, present yourself active voice. I want you to do this. You've got a job to do. And in the New Covenant, in these epistles and in the New Testament, you'll see over and over it, it tells you a command. It tells you to do something active voice. But we're going to see what voice it's used when we're actually talking about the credit for having done it. Okay, so it, it said, active voice, don't present your members 
to sin as slaves for obedience. Then in verse 16 of Romans 6, it says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, and there's that word, we may have to look at the definition of it, huh? That's that word. Obedience is hooper koya, and it means committed to do the right thing of following a command. Okay. No, it doesn't mean that at all. <laughs> you know what it means? Hooper under koya, hearing. Under the hearing. Simple word. When you're under the hearing of something. Yes, yes. But let's take it as, as obedience for the sake of argument here. It says... Don't you know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to whom you obey, either sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? It says, don't you know when you active voice do this, you could present yourselves as a member of, of slit of sin, an instrument of sin, or you could present yourself active voice as an instrument of righteousness to God. But look at what the next verse says. It says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you are now committed. It says you active voice became obedient to that form of teaching which you are now committed. Began to believe that form of teaching which you are now committed to. Active voice, but you see it said thanks be to God that you were doing the active voice. Why wouldn't it give credit to you and say thank you for doing that? Well, the, the rest of the sentence is going to tell us why. It says, thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were now committed, having been freed from sin, passive voice, you did not free yourself from sin, and you became passive voice slaves of righteousness. You became passive voice slaves of righteousness. You were freed from sin and enslaved to righteousness. That's why he said, thanks be to God, because God did all that for you. That's why Paul could say, I don't understand what I'm doing. And if it's me doing what I hate, it's not even me, but it's sin controlling me doing this. Who will separate me from this body of death. Thanks be to God in Romans 7. Just like he says, thanks be to God here in Romans 6 because it was God's energy that freed you from sin and enslaved you to righteousness. Then it goes on to say, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your human nature. Just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, active voice, you did it, resulting in further lawlessness, so now 
present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Active voice. He's telling you. He, he's basically saying the same thing he did again, but he's he's saying it sarcastically. He's saying, "I'm telling you this because of the weakness of your flesh. You can't do what I'm about to tell you." And that's why he says, "I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh." Then it goes on to say. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. When you were controlled by sin and enslaved to sin, something you were powerless to do anything about, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed, passive voice, freed from sin and enslaved to God, you're a slave of God. Does that sound like you've got a free will? Or is that saying you're enslaved to God, passive voice? You didn't free yourself from sin and you didn't enslave yourself to God, even though earlier in the chapter it said, so now present yourself as instruments to God. It was telling you to do this, but is clearly telling you that you couldn't do this and that God gets all the glory for what he is doing in and through you, for you. He is setting you free from sin. He is causing you not to embarrass yourself anymore. He is setting you free from that bondage to embarrassment that you can't and never have been able to get yourself out of and never will be able to get yourself out of. This passage is clearly saying clearly. that you were set free and you were enslaved to God and you derive a great benefit. The outcome is sanctification resulting in eternal life for you. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, in his power, you manifest eternal life. And when you're manifesting eternal life, you've been set free from sin you didn't do it, you were set free, and you were enslaved to God to be his instrument that he uses to manifest himself through. It couldn't be any more obvious than, than it is. Than well, let it, me just say a few things. You brought up a good point. I've never heard free and slave used in the same person. You're free or you're a slave. That's a good if you're observation. Slaves, you're not a free. Yeah, break that down for us. And there's a similarity between the Hebrew six and the Roman six. The Hebrew six, he's talking about the two covenants, but we're convinced of better things in your case. The freedom belongs to the new covenant. That's what the writer of Hebrews say. That's one of the better things. And, and Romans said it. You are, and Paul sin will no longer be your master because you are not under law, the old covenant, but under grace, the new covenant. Sin shall not 
be your master because you're not under law, the old covenant, but under grace, the new covenant. I'm convinced of better things. You won't be a slave. But if you still think you're under the trust and obey, keeping the law, then you're going to do what Paul says in Romans 7. I don't understand what I'm doing. I can't stop sinning. The first thing he, in Romans 6, he's asking you to get your identity right. And we don't really relate to slavery and freedom, but if I work at Home Depot, then I should not show up to Lowe's. I used to work at Lowe's, and I shouldn't show up to Lowe's for work because I'm not under the employment of Lowe's. I'm under the employment of Home Depot. Not that either one's better. I'm not making that an example. But so step one is get your identity straight. And step two is get the job description straight. Under the old covenant, it was up to you to know the law, believe the law, and obey the law. And how did that work out? Horribly. Horribly. Under the new covenant, am I un under obligation to obey the law, strictly speaking? No, you're not. I'm under the privilege of trusting the Holy Spirit to do for me what I can't do for myself. When I don't know that, when I don't have my identity straight and I don't have the covenant I'm under straight, I'm going to go back to the old covenant like this poor guy, poor people in Hebrews 6, and I'm going to think all these things. I'm, I got to obey. I got to commit. I'm not doing very good. I'm failing miserably. I'm a wretched man. Fearful expectation. I'm filled with fearful expectations. And they're not even true. And that's what he said. I'm persuaded of better things. And he, and just to make it clear, I know we said it once. Persuaded, when it's passive voice, doesn't mean you sat and studied it for, for years. <laughs> and came up with that conclusion. There is a persuasion uh, called the school of hard knocks where you try and fail and try and fail and try and fail and try and fail. And then when someone says, do you want to know a better way? You might go, yes, I do. Yeah, I'm persuaded that I can't do this. You do have to be persuaded that you mm -hmm. can't do it. Mm -hmm. That's why the That's law, the had law. To, came mm -hmm. before grace. Right. The old covenant became the, before the new covenant. That was the whole point of Hebrews, mm -hmm. the letter. Mm -hmm. That's why Galatians said the law was our tutor to lead us to Christ by teaching us that we can't attain satisfactory Christian life. And isn't Paul making in Romans 6 the same argument the writer of Hebrews was making in Hebrews 6? Yes. Comparing the two covenants? Yes. Okay. It's identical. Sin shall not be our master because we're not under law but under grace. That's a key verse. Now it says, don't you know you're slave to the one you obey? That's a key verse, too, because you're getting your identity straight and you're getting the covenant that you're under straight. You're not under law, but under grace. It means the same thing. What's next is 
the power, what's the word? The power of choice to present Not the power yourself? of choice, but the way I'm going to accomplish it. Is it like going to be striving or resting? God yeah. or lean towards unrighteousness. I've heard it described in several different ways, but any way you look at it, it's saying present yourself or choose to be an instrument of righteousness or an instrument of unrighteousness. And then it like all gets debunked in Romans 6. That's, that's what he does. He says, present yourself. Now I'm going to debunk that idea so that you'll never think again that you're in charge of whether you're an instrument of righteousness or you're an instrument of unrighteousness. I don't want you ever to be thinking that you're in charge of that. And just because the result that you want is the same, like in the old covenant, says don't steal. In the new covenant, don't steal. Same objective vastly different on the way you go about not stealing though amen amen so let's get into and let me just say the old testament was you use your determination not to steal and not to fall into temptation about stealing something in the new covenant you use the power of grace or the power of Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. You use his power not to fall into temptation to steal. And there were many things put into place. There was shaming, punishments, formulas, accountability partners, Conferences yeah, in to the go old, to. there was all these things, and and then uh, they had shaming in the old covenant. None yes. of it worked. No, none of it worked. None of it worked because the old covenant didn't work. If it did work, we wouldn't be having this conversation tonight. No, we'd still be under the old covenant. And so, for for so many of us, there's millions of people in the 21st century that are still under the old covenant, even though it it does. Maybe we should go to the verse that says it, it didn't work, the old covenant. D- does yeah, I think it's one of our better words. Yes. Better covenant. Yeah. Do you, do you, should, should we go to um, Hebrews 8? Yeah, I, I love that verse. You, you want me because to it read? tells the, the fault with the covenant. Yeah, and that's going to give us a lot of insight. You make the comments. I'll, I'll read. How about that? All right. Since I'm such a good reader with my eyes, my blind eyes. Um. Okay. He, Hebrews chapter eight. I'll start in verse six. It says, "But now Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry." by as much as he also is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. Two betters. Two betters. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second covenant. Well, wait. Okay. 
that was a two-party covenant. So if it was faultless, we wouldn't need a new covenant. We wouldn't need a new covenant. Okay. Did God do his part? God did his part and the covenant did its part. The, the covenant itself was actually not faultless. We're going to find out what was faultless in, in a second. What was wrong with the old covenant then? Yeah. What did he find fault with? Okay. It says, for God finding fault with the people. He says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers, he found made a new covenant because he found fault with the people. And they had to live. So he made a new covenant because they couldn't live up to the old covenant. And not only could they not live up to it, it produced the same desperate, hopeless emotion that the guy in Hebrews 6 had that he has to say, I'm convinced of better things. This covenant's better because it doesn't find fault with you anymore. That's the better part. It is impossible for God to find fault with you in this new covenant. Their sins and lawless deeds I'll not remember as much. I will remember no more. I will always see the people of the new covenant as faultless vessels for me to use. And see, I can never believe that that was that good. I thought when it said, I'll remember their sins no more, I thought, man, that guy again, <sighs> I'm going to overlook it. It, it. It's not that. It, it's literally God, I don't know how he did it, but he put that out of his memory. He really doesn't remember our sins and lawless deeds anymore. That's exactly what it says here. He says, On that day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and did not, I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying experience the Lord for they shall all see me from the least to the greatest of them for I will be merciful to their iniquities and remember their sins no more no more so the guy in Hebrew 6 his Fearful expectation is based on the false idea that God is keeping track of his sins, wouldn't it be? It's a false idea that he did not make a new covenant, but folks, he did make a new covenant. 
So his fearful expectation was very real, but it was based on a false idea. That's why the feelings were very real, but they were not based in reality. The reality is that he made a new covenant with us. And in that new covenant, our sins and lawless deeds, he'll remember no more. And he'll put his spirit in our hearts to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We will be the vessels that he uses. That's why in Romans 6, it was saying, present yourself as an instrument. We are the instrument that he uses to accomplish his eternal purpose. Now he uses Jesus in us, the hope of glory, to manifest himself through us. And that makes us pure and holy and blameless when he's manifesting. And it makes us feel heaven on earth when he's manifesting. And we are pleasing to everybody around us when he's manifesting. So we learn to wait on him and our whole life under the new covenant is a dependency on him, a dependency on his spirit that lives inside of us to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, to do for us what the old covenant taught us that we could never do for ourselves. And I'm looking at the time, and I don't think we can do the rest of Romans six fourteen justice. No, except to, to to leave it on. And I'll let you explain it. Yeah, we'll 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 leave it. It'll it'll kind of be a teaser for you to come back next week and listen to to the next podcast because it might be on this subject. We still got to go back over Romans six and explain obedience and ex- yes. explain these things and and take the confusion out of mixing the covenants. Yeah. Having a double covenanted man is what unstable in all his ways. Yeah. I'll close us in prayer, but just let me say before I do close us in prayer. Now that you've been turned on to the idea of this new covenant saying everything that you do that is holy and righteous and good is done for you. It's called the passive voice. You don't actually do it. You don't get credit for it. God gets all the thanks because God is doing it through you and you give him the credit and that stores you up treasures in heaven. It's a simple covenant And we want you to store up treasures in heaven. We want you to know how to do that and how to speak and act as those who will be judged by this new covenant. But a lot of it has to do with just how much of the epistles in the New Testament uses the passive voice when it comes to the do's and don'ts that you get credit for. You get credit for what God did through you and it never gives it never says you did anything good in the active voice it always turns out to be in the passive voice and you'll see 
That is just a huge game changer when it comes to reading the, the New Testament and the New Testament epistles. It gives you a new lens in which to look at these epistles. So, Father God, I just pray that you give us the eyes of our heart to be enlightened, that you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so we can see these epistles under a new lens and we can see that our, the weapons of our war, warfare are, are not human. They're divine weapons and those divine weapons tear down all the lofty arguments and all the strongholds that bind us up and everything. The divine weapons do all those things for us and they're ready to punish everything once our obedience is made passive voice complete by our divine weapons that we have when we received Christ. They do everything for us, our divine weapons do, and we get the credit for what they do. That's good news. That's good news. <laughs> That's better things. Yes. And I say all that in Jesus' name. We love you guys. We love you guys. Good night, you guys. We do love you. We will see you next week. Be blessed. Bye-bye.